Welcome to the Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, your Banker Midweek editors are myself, Liz Lumley, and we are joined by a special guest, Chris um, I should have asked you how to pronounce your name. Everyone knows who listens to the podcast how bad I am at pronouncing names. Could you do it for me, please, Chris? Haladzik. You have no worries at all. I love it. <laughs> I'm bad. Uh, Chief Revenue Officer at Meow, and we will be getting to that Meow later on in the podcast. So as our listeners know, the Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence future stories. But as we all know, rules are meant to be broken. We're going to start off with a little... Uh, interview with Chris uh, and a bit of an explainer on Meow. So I'm someone who's had um, uh, a lot of experience with, with fintech startups, and I've had to explain to quite a few why they can't legally call themselves a bank. Those those are always interesting conversations to introduce fintech entrepreneurs to financial regulation. <laughs> but um, I was really, I really liked sort of the description of Meow on LinkedIn, which was um, we are a financial technology company, not a bank. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Meow? Yeah, thanks for the, thanks for having me on the show, Liz. But yeah, exactly. We're not a bank. Think about us as a business banking financial technology platform to help startups extend their runway. And so whether or not they're looking to buy direct government securities like U.S. Treasury bills or U.K. gilts or even German boons and earn you know anywhere from three and a half to five and a half percent on their cash. We're an easy kind of on-ramp and software layer to do so. Excellent. So, I mean, I mean, cash management is always a big issue for, for any size corporates. You know, are there issues that are unique to the startup world that, that incumbent traditional banks need to understand? A hundred percent. I think it's all about liquidity, especially like the, uh, the key differentiation between a startup and a larger corporate is a lot of times a startup is burning cash, right? They're not cash flow positive. And so startup founders and CFOs and VPs of finance really, really focused on liquidity, whether that mean making sure that your cash is not locked up for longer periods or making sure you have easy access, whether it be I need to reinvest for growth or do other things. And so, you know, a lot of customers that we talk to are really focused on how can I guarantee liquidity on my cash in the event of an emergency, or how can I ensure that our cash management strategy is not something constraining the business. And so that's been a huge focus, um, as, especially as we've rolled out different products. Interesting. I mean, it's um, so I mean, earlier this year, and you can read this on the banker site, the banking saga, we had in the US, a number of banks that um, that collapsed and was, were sold out. And a lot of them were aimed at the startup and entrepreneurial community. I mean, do, do some of Meow's services, do, do they mitigate some of the risks that that impacted those banks? Look, not, nothing's risk free. Mm -hmm. I think I think we saw an obvious, you know, what happened back in March. But you know, we, we saw about a half a billion dollars in inflows to the platform during that time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's largely because people were focused on buying government securities directly. And there's a lot of uncertainty. They went and bought those. And you know, as a platform, you know, through our infrastructure provider, you can get a custodial account at Bank of New York Mellon Pershing to buy stuff like U.S. government treasury bills with your own QCIP. And so people were focused on that. Um, and there was a flight to buying direct U.S. government securities, especially with yields elevated. And so we saw that. Um, but you know, we're not a bank banks. We partner with, um, use different products. And those are, that's one of them that people were focused on during the crisis. Mm, no, it, 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 it's really interesting. Um, uh, what, what, what went on earlier in the year. And, um, yeah, so it, it's interesting to see the, 
where where some of the money is flowing to. So Meow has has moved over to the UK. So you're a, a US company. I mean, how does how does the fintech community in the UK co- compare to the US? Well, they they love happy hours. That's what I'm gonna say, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was we hosted a happy Come down hour. The pub. We were like, oh, <laughs> we're like we're like, oh yeah, 25 people show up. Like 200 people showed up, and I'm like, wow, that was that was easy. Um, but yeah, I would say you know fintech community at large. It's a super tight knit community of people that are really focused. You know, someone who's been a huge influence for us has been Simon Taylor, and talking to him and kind of meeting mm-hmm. other people in the ecosystem, and so. I think it's super no nonsense. You know, how can you deliver real economic value to the business? How can you simplify operations? How can you simplify treasury? And so we've been super, as we as we kind of call it, low to the ground, trying to obsess and delight the customer, find ways to provide real value um, as as flufflessly possible. <laughs> the UK for, 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 for um, enabling fintech one pub at a time. <laughs> so I have to ask, um, where did where did the name Meow come from? A hundred percent. And we're gonna Liz. I'm definitely after this. I'm gonna send you a Meow T-shirt. This is this is the uh, the branding we're gonna see on the on the banker next week. So um, I, I would say a few things. Look, like if we wanted to be, you know, we started in Treasury, and if we called ourselves Treasure. Yeah, you know, it would be very constraining for kind of what our ambitions are. And so, you know, we launched a venture debt marketplace. We have FX products, we have operational products, and there's so there's a bunch of other things. And I think, you know, a name like Treasure would have constrained us. And so this is Meow's definitely a name that can mean anything. Um, I'd say the second thing we thought about is definitely that, you know, there's a lot of competition, both from traditional banks and from from financial technology companies like us. And so this is a name that you definitely don't forget about. I laugh. Even people that don't become customers become evangelists in some way. <laughs> and so, and then the last thing is like, I think, you know, Apple was a fruit at one point. There's all these crazy names out there. And so we're, we're trying to break the mold a little bit. Okay. Very interesting. Um, so now we're going to move on to some newsy bits that caught my eye uh, this week. So this is a story which is on the banker site right now. And um, I, I love these stories. I love stories about settlement systems. So Europe risks being left behind on T plus one. This is from our investment banking editor, Michael Climes. So everyone knows that the U.S. is moving to T plus one very soon. And this is leaving the rest of the world in a two, T plus two environment, including Europe, which will lead to issues with European banks dealing with American banks. So the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA, is working hard to figure out options for the rollout of a new system for Europe, and it has launched a consultation about shortening the settlement cycle on October 5th. And the deadline for responses to the consultation paper is December 15th, and ESMA will consider in the first quarter of 2024. I love how banks do things. Very, They, they take their time rolling things out. I don't know if you have any comment on this. I just think this is interesting to mention during the podcast because it's the settlement systems are the the way banks operate and it, it, it's good to see um, different uh, initiatives going on around the globe. Yeah, I think I think markets just tend towards efficiency on these types of things. Mm-hmm. I think like if we zoom out, Liz, you know, I, me and you hopefully are talking in 50 years from now and we're like, <laughs> hey, on the banker podcast, we got the recording. I think it'll be T plus zero or same day settlement or something like yeah. that. And I think that's just a natural tendency. And so it's an interesting move. We'll see. We'll see if it pans out. Though I would say everyone's entrenched in their old ways. You know, I was I was at Goldman before this, and I think things take time to change in traditional yeah. financial markets. But I think there's a tendency over the long haul to move that way. Think things that there is there's you know like there's Uber time and there's real time. There's um, yep. time. there's banks have there's bank time. 
and then there's human time. So we'll see whether we have, whether we ever get to T plus zero. Maybe my grandchildren will tell me about it. So we are now moving Boo Hiss away from the banker site. But uh, it, no, we're not going far. We're going to – oh, no, we are going far. We're going to Finextra. Sorry about this. But I am interviewing um, this gentleman next week for the banker. So this is Chat GDP Interprets FedSpeak to Predict Direction of Interest Rates. And this is a story in the newswire Finextra. So this is a new study by researchers – at Sheffield Hallam University, which demonstrates the ability of large language models like ChatGDP to predict future interest rate decisions by central banks. Um, and so I thought this was qu quite interesting about seeing how we're going to use uh, Gen AI in the future for especially um, predicting market movements. Um, what do you think of this um, moving forward? Yeah, it's it's funny. I actually have a pretty a somewhat strong take on this. So I was listening mm. to the All In podcast, like Chamath Palihapitiya and some some folks over there, and they were talking about this amidst all the craziness of rates going from zero to what five and a quarter, five and a half Fed funds in the U.S. And I, I think it's crazy that you know right now we don't have the ability to have like a minute by minute, day by day update. And I feel like in the future, just as markets tend to get more efficient, you know, potentially it's that you know, the Fed rate is going to be adjustable on a daily basis versus like eight times a year or whatever we do. And so I could see that being possible. I think the prediction mechanism is is the intermediate step. But maybe in the future, it's just like you can wake up in the morning and check what the effective federal funds rate is. Maybe I'm just hopeful. I'm just wondering whether I always not just with uh, with AI predictions, but any sort of prediction, I think sometimes having that prediction kind of influences the outcome. And I'm wondering whether People come out saying we we predict the Bank of England or the Fed will do this, and because that information is out there, the decisions might change. A hundred percent. Yeah, I actually think that's that's true. I think people like you know you <laughs> see someone tweet something out and that can move markets and change mm. things. And so yeah, like almost the discussion about the topic can almost create the outcome of the topic. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's definitely possible. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. So the next story, the next story is not far. It's uh, in the FT, um, and it's um, I, I don't want to say interesting, but I mean my my inbox was filled with um, comments about uh, cryptocurrencies being used for terrorism, especially uh, given the horrible news going on in Israel and the Gaza right at the moment. But this is uh, cryptocurrencies under renewed focus after Hamas attacks. So politicians, regulators step up scrutiny of alleged links between digital currencies and terrorism. Cryptocurrencies have not had very good press over the past few years. The crypto industry's long quest for legitimacy and mainstream adoption hit another big hurdle this month as U.S. politicians and authorities intensified their focus on alleged links to the financing of terrorism. I think with anything, you sort of follow the trail of money. Is this another blow for the legitimacy of cryptocurrencies, or is it just coming up right now because of the horrible events in the Middle East? Yeah, I think it's coming up right now. I think mm. I think it's been two steps forward, two steps back type of situation over the mm. past few years or so. Um, you know, I look at like what PayPal is doing with stable coins, and I think there are some use cases, and that like it's really gotten to the point. And I think this is good for the market in general. Is like ruthless efficiency on is this providing 10x value to the market um something like the paypal stablecoin integration was something that was important but you know this is unfortunate um if true and so you know i i i'm hopeful in the future that there's better use cases that people find a bunch of value with and then there's some sort of integration maybe it's creating more efficiency in the market etc but um time will tell i guess we'll see yeah so yeah i mean it is kind of i know i mean 
the idea that currencies are anonymous, they're not really anonymous in crypto, but it is, in order to fight money laundering, you have to be able to trace where this money is going through. Anyone who knows anything about SWIFT understands that. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see um, where the, how this, this pans out long term. So the final story, and I went back and forth on this. This uh, this came out, I saw stuff on this on um, social media and Twitter and comments, but it came out the day before our banker midweek uh, last week, so I didn't get a chance to read it. Um, but uh, the columnist in the FT, Jemima Kelly, um, did not like this uh, this uh, manifesto. So this is, I read Andersian's Techno Optimist Manifesto, so you don't have to. So I actually did not listen to Jemima, and I did read it. <laughs> so the reason why I bring it up is I, I love talking about startup culture. So it was very funny. I had a very sort of strange journalistic reaction to this because I kind of think sometimes people with very fat wallets love to hear the sound of their own voice, and I'm looking at this thinking this could have been edited way down into about two paragraphs. Um, basically, technology is our tools, and they're not inherently bad, and free markets are better than Soviet-style communism. That's it. That's basically what he's saying. But what I thought was kind of interesting, and one of the things that, and I'm, I'm, I've written about this several times before, the type of language that is used in startup culture, I think, is rather damaging for real humans and real entrepreneurs, because I've being an entrepreneur is very difficult. It's it's hard. You need to have a certain amount of resilience uh, to start a company and all those good things. But sometimes you come up with language about us and them and categories. And there's even an enemies list in his manifesto, which is fantastic. Um, and becoming technological supermen. He uses the word men several times. But one of the things on the enemies list is risk management which, um, you know, there's a trial going on in New York right now with a former 28-year-old billionaire that I think should have paid a little bit more attention to risk management. But um, what do you think about kind of <laughs> billionaire Silicon Valley tech entrepreneurs writing very long, rambling tech manifestos? Do you think they're good for the industry or you can take it or leave it? Yeah, I think everyone loves to write stuff. I think you know it's another it's another good example of it. Look, I understand being in the in the throes of building our own startup, right? Where it's like grit, determination, resilience, kind of fluffless um, pursuit of a mission are important. Um, mm. But I think with anything, just as there are kernels of potentially good things, there are also you know overcorrections, and I think that's where some of the things you're you're hinting at. So. Um, at the end of the day, I, I understand that you know, you know when you're in the throes of building a business, it can become an us versus them, but it's really just to focus on, instead of an us versus them, it's like, how can we delight the customer? And then there's going to be ups and downs along the way. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree with your, your sentiment. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I think I might, I might write about this to, this afternoon, but um, I think some stuff on, someone said on Twitter, um, they don't think that Mark and Anderson has ever met a poor person. I just think he needs a history book for some of the stuff he's written about. But one of the things I kind of took out was technology doesn't care about your ethnicity, race, religion, national origin, gender, sexuality, political views, height, weight, hair, or lack thereof. And that's just not true. <laughs> um, I, I think for him, technology doesn't care. 
But for a lot of other people, technology has cared. And that's one of the things we as humans dealing with these tools to build a better world need to examine. I don't think it's the technology people are objecting to. It's what's being built with it, which I, I would like to see this sort of, you know, if he has a lot of optimism about this so-called utopia that we might move into, what, what exactly is that utopia and how do you build it? And how do you make sure bad stuff doesn't happen with what you build? 100%. I think it's mm. how do you build things in the correct way? And I think everyone should have a pretty good seat at the table to, to do that. And so, yeah, I think it's a valid Excellent. So I'm I'm going to be very much looking forward to my meow T-shirt. <laughs> there we go, soon. and and we're going to get you a meow hat too. I can't. We can't just start a T-shirt. Get it out. Meow UK. I love it. Lovely. Anyway, so next time you're in, I will. I'll make sure I'll take you to a pub for a pint in the British way. Done. Lovely. It. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.